Today's sermon is called Try Harder. Who here uh, wants more patience? You just have to try harder, right? See, for me, I'm home with three kids all day. You know, they're pretty low energy, as you could tell. Charlie rarely screams. Cameron and JG, very sedate. I mean, you have to really poke them to get them to move. Um, being around them, two of them being homeschooled, pastoring a church on a rare occasion, very rare occasion, sometimes I can get a little frustrated and, and need some patience. And for a long time I've tried, you know, God, would you give me patience? Because if you don't, I might kill somebody and it's on you. And I'll pray and, and I try really hard and I'd do good for a day or two and, and then the third day would show up and you'd be back to square one. And it would be, God, what's the deal? I know you want me to be patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I'm trying hard. I'm asking you for it, but we ain't getting very far along the lines. What happened, God? You're not holding up your end of the bargain. And it's exhausting. If you So I, I would try harder. You know, I would, I would repress any frustrated desire from rising up and I'd force, my, I'd force myself to be happy and calm and peaceful and, and I would never make any headway. And Not too long ago, um, I, I learned a secret. A secret I'm going to share with you guys today. If you want patience, if you want perseverance, if you want joy, if you want, if you want anything God wants you to have, the secret is that title, Try Harder, you're going to cross it out and replace it with something today. And it's, somebody say good. And it's going to come out of a parable where you might not expect it to come from. And I don't know how I got it out of this. I'm hoping God gave it to me. But we're going three verses. It's a parable of the wise and foolish builders. You know that one? If you went to Sunday school as a kid, which I didn't, and I still know the song, it goes, the wise man built his house upon the rock. You know that song? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. It's three verses. Think you can hang in there for all three? Or should I break it down one and a half? I'm in Matthew 7. I'm in verse 24. And it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You ready for the application? Build your house on the rock? Let's pray. Good? What do you do with that? What do you do with that text? Anything in Scripture, you have to put it in the proper context. Otherwise, you can distort a verse like nobody's business. You have to put it in the context of where it's written and the context of all of Scripture to understand what's going on. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built a house upon the rock. What are the words? And how do we do them? Anybody have any idea? I'm in Matthew 7. If I turn left, two chapters, I'm in Matthew 5. That should ring a bell. If not, you look right above the big 5 in Matthew 5, and it says, The Sermon on the Mount. You ever hear of that one? What I've read, this parable of the, the wise and foolish builders, are the last words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So what words is he talking about? He's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. I'll walk you through it real quickly. Anger. You know what Jesus says about, well... I missed a step. Jesus says the Sermon on the Mount to explain the qualifications for entrance into the kingdom of God. 
First he says that you have to, your, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's verse 20. Just so you know, those were pretty righteous dudes. They looked good. That was going to be hard to do. He says, alright, you know this anger thing? You know it's written, you, you can't kill anybody? Remember that? It's one of those commandments about murdering. Well, I tell you, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't go murdering. But I'm going to tell you, if you even hate somebody, you're a murderer. He says, oaths, retaliation. He goes on, love for your enemies. He says, uh, if you even, you know how the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not sleeping around, but if you even look at somebody lustfully, you're an adulterer. He's talking about your murderers, your adulterers, your liars. You can't retaliate. You've got to love your enemies. He says, all right, you know what? Let me explain it this way. You don't just have to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. I'll tell you the standard in 548. He says, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect to enter the kingdom of God. The problem, the problem we have with this is we think that A, either Jesus is just pulling our leg. Seriously. He doesn't really mean if you hate somebody, you're a murderer and you're guilty of murder and you can't enter the kingdom of God because who's going to get in? Just try not to hate people. If you look at someone lustfully, you're, you're guilty of adultery. Well, you know, that's a little bit of a problem for 99.99% of the population, less those who are blind, because then he's saying you can't get into the kingdom of God. Well, that's not really what he means. So we think he sets a standard to just mark it down. Aim high, so when you miss, you're still aiming pretty well. That's how some people take the Sermon on the Mount. Other people, it's the wrong way to take Jesus literally means what he's saying. Other people say, all right, I'll try it. I'll try it. I am not going to hate anybody. So I built a bunker, and I cut off all phone service. There's no internet. I will not speak to people, and I will train my mind to focus on that crack in the wall from now until I die. That way I can't hate anybody, right? And then you're like, I love Jesus, staring at the crack in the wall. It's so awesome being a Christian. I don't hate anybody except God for making me sit down. And it's miserable. Don't look at anybody lustfully. All right, I gouged my eyes out and I'm crashing into the walls and I got other... I'm angry and that's bad. It's miserable, but we try to force it. God, make me patient. Darn it. Make me joyful, won't ya? And it just stinks. And then we got to tell people about how much Jesus loves them. And we go out there and we're like, damn it, I got to tell somebody else. Jesus loves you. It's joyful. And they're like, uh-huh. See you later. And it just stinks. But we're like, Jesus, I'm building. I'm keeping all these words. I'm hearing them. I'm doing them. What's not happening? And people go through their entire lives sometimes like this, and they wonder, where is this joy? But they never vocalize it because in most settings, you got to be, if you're a Christian, like, you got to be joyful. It's one thing I love about our church. We could be a little more genuine. Some of us have bad days. Some of us, you know, we're like, Dang it! I don't want to do it. I don't feel the joy. I don't know what's awesome about it. Whoa, that's how we all feel at times. And the biggest reason we feel that way, the biggest problem is, you're trying too hard. The Sermon on the Mount is not a legalistic, ethical teaching. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus is going against. He's talking to the the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's saying, guys, no matter how hard you try, you are never going to be good enough for the kingdom of God. So why do we take it as an ethical teaching and go legalistic? If you hear these words and you do them, what are the words and what is he saying? 
The Sermon on the Mount is designed to drive you to your knees. You listen to it, you hear what he's saying, you say, well, I'm screwed. You say, uh-huh, now you're getting it. Well, 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 how do I get in? You can't. I can't, Jesus, I can't do this stuff. You're right. You're going to hell. But, but, but what do I do? Nothing you can do. Scared now? You got an eternity in hell separated from me. Because you can't keep the standards my father has set. You want to try harder? Go ahead. It's pretty stupid, isn't it? You, you, want to, you want to do your darndest to do the impossible? Go ahead. But the Sermon on the Mount is actually a gospel presentation. It's designed to drive you to your knees, and then on your knees, allow you to worship God. Long time ago, when I first came to faith, I got up for a series of mornings in a row. It was a lot of them. And I would read the Sermon on the Mount. Because I really, really, really wanted to please my Heavenly Father. I was very young in my faith. And I thought, if I read this, I can go through my day and I could be pleasing to God. And I would read it to be reminded of it, which isn't a bad idea. And then I would just get worn out after extended periods of time. Because there are some people you just flat out of hate, right? I mean, there are some people that you could not hate. Like the old lady who got hit by the car. You don't, it's, you know, you don't have to hate her. But the guy who cuts you off in traffic when you're running late, he deserves to be some hated. And it would just frustrate me because I'd read it and I'd try and I'd fall short and I again and again and again and I didn't have the joy but I had this legalistic view on my faith that the harder I try, the more mature I am and the more pleasing I'll be to God. And I missed the whole point. The problem is, hearing what Jesus says and doing it is not a legalistic approach to the Sermon on the Mount. We've got to get that out of our heads. How do we get into the kingdom of God? You're saved by hard works, by dogged determination, by never giving up, so help you God, or you'll lose it. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians? Or is it, you're saved by what? Through faith, and not by works, since no one can boast. What Jesus is saying is this. If you hear what I'm saying, if you understand that you can't do it, now we're getting somewhere. Now let me explain why I came. Because you can never be perfect like your Heavenly Father is perfect. You can never keep these teachings. But I can, and I will, and then I will die in your place, taking the wrath of God upon me. And if you turn to me, if you believe in me, if you trust me, then God sees you differently. You don't have to keep it. You have to believe in me. And then you receive grace. You see, here's the kicker. Here's the solution after we see the problem. We can choose legalism, or we can choose grace. We can choose to try harder, or thanks to Renee, we can remember to focus better. You see, our job, what Jesus is saying here about building, is not about foundation work. Foundation work is done when you come to faith. What is the gift? The gift of God is blank life in Christ Jesus. What's that word? Eternal life. It means forever. You know what that also means? You can't lose it. The gift of God isn't the potential for eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. It's not temporary life. It's not part-time life. It's eternal life. Did I share with you the story? Of, uh, it's, it's, uh, I guess it qualifies as a story. The friend of mine who um, was having a conversation with a gal whose husband was stealing from a, a church second time it happened, and she was fixing to leave him. And 
she asked him if she could leave him. He calls me up. You know, this is how pastors work. We defer to somebody else. It's the blame game transfer. Well, see, God, I, I asked him, and then he said this, so I just communicate. I'm not accountable. He says to me, what do you think? Can she? And here, here's where I sounded really wise, because someone just gave me some really good advice the day before. I told him that. But for 10 seconds, I didn't think I was like super wise. I said, was she a Christian? He says, yeah. I said, she can leave him. She can dump him whenever she wants. He says, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter. Because once saved, always saved. I'm not saying she should. I'm not saying God will be happy if she did, but I'm saying she could. Do you guys understand this freedom we have? If you have the foundation under you that we're going to talk about in a minute, you could do whatever you want. If you love Jesus and you want to go rob the bank, you still got eternal life. You don't have to work your way in. It's done. Now, if you love Jesus, you're probably not going to want to go rob the bank. Okay? But you see what I'm saying here? There's a freedom here. If you love Jesus, you don't have to get up in the morning and read the Bible. You can put the thing on the shelf and cover it up and let the dust collect from now to kingdom come. Because you've got eternal life. But if you've got eternal life, you're going to want to read God's Word at some point. There's going to be some little something and you're going to read it. Dust it off. Check it out. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You see where I'm going with this? We don't have to work our way in. There is tremendous peace with this. You ever see a little kid try to please their dad? Like a bad dad with a really cute little kid. And that no matter what they do, they, 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 they're out there washing the car early in the morning to just impress their dad, what they did for him and how much they love him. And the dad comes in and goes, looks like trash, you missed that spot. You see the kid's face just drop. Or maybe the kid's inside and he's, he's organizing books and cleaning up the house and just wants his daddy to love him. And the dad comes down, what the hell are you doing? Just can't please him and the kid's trying so hard and it's miserable. How often do we go after God that way? You want to know what? You don't have to wash God's car for God to love you more. God don't have a car. He got chariots of fire and they burn your hands if you wash them. You don't have to do anything to make God love you more because God loves you, period. For now and forevermore through the blood of Christ. This gets pretty exciting and pretty cool. So the question becomes, why do we do what we do? Why do we want patience? To make my day easier, darn it. Maybe that's part of the problem. You see, what we're called to is to focus. We're going to do some building. Jesus talks about that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house where? On the rock. I think sometimes we take it to say, who built a firm foundation. We build upon the rock, and we're held accountable for what we build and what we do with our time, talent, and treasure, but not so that God could determine if he loves us for a whole other reasons. Do you understand this? You want to experience joy, drop the legalism. We're all guilty of it in different areas. Now, I am not giving you a license to sin. We're going to do a series through Romans at some point in the not-too-distant future. And I'll let God speak through Paul more specifically on that. But this is no license to sin. Nobody walk out of here and go, well, here's the deal. He said, I could do whatever I want. I'm darn tired Sunday morning. I ain't going anymore. I'm not reading the Bible. And I got things to do. Yes, technically you could. But if you're comfortable doing that, we need to have a talk. Because I don't know that you know the rock all that well. Okay? There's no license to sin. But it's a change in why we do what we do. Now, it's not always going to be joyful and happy, and I, I do it because I want to do it. In this world, you will have trouble. The good news is that Jesus, what? Overcame the world. I'm not saying, you know, well, 
I'll go to work if I wake up and feel like it. Otherwise, screw it. I don't have to. God loves me. You find yourself out in the streets, out of work. You'd be hungry. It might not go well for you. We're called to, to seek to please God, but the reason why is what's so critical. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What's the rain? What's the wind? What's the flood? Whenever Jesus is talking about this in these types of settings, he's dealing with the, the final judgment of God, when God comes back. Okay? The entire world will be judged. We all know this. And if we're on the rock, the rock, capital T, capital R, the firm foundation, we're secure. It is nothing to fear for us. The works we do on top will be, will be tested, but we're good. God loves us. That's never going to change. But the one who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man. Same wind, same flood, same storm. Boom. Catastrophe. Did you notice something going on there? Houses look the same. Built in the same location. Same materials, potentially. What's the difference? What they're built on. Now, Jesus is talking to people who identify as God followers. You understand this? He's not saying that the, the... I love the word heathen. The heathen drunkard who's sleeping off the... Uh, well, this, this will show you my night. What do you call that when you drink too much and you wake up with a hangover? Thank you. <laughs> I am a righteous man. I don't know these words. The one who's sleeping off the hangover this morning, just cracking the eye open, you know? Ah, where am I? He's not talking to that cat. He's talking to the one sitting in a pew somewhere in this country. Who, who? I, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. And if you don't turn, you're going to hell. That one, you know, the, the legalistic one, the one who thinks they're in who's built their foundation on something other than Christ. The legalism of sand. You and I need to more fully understand what we have in Christ. Who we are in Christ. Who we were before Christ. And what that means. Because we can't forget the sandy folk. You see, we're called to lovingly go out and say to the sandy folk, Whoop! Foundation check! Storm coming! You know how you do that? I love Jesus. You don't. You're going to hell. Hmm. And then they'll say, oh, thank you. What do I need to do? You say, yeah, I'll come to my church. Okay. What time do they meet? 10 o'clock. So we get there like 10, 10? Yeah. No, you say get there at 10, and then they're good. We need to lovingly go out and be a joyful people who are joyful in the fact that we are in an eternal relationship with Christ, not because of anything we have done, but solely because of what He has done. And to stay focused on Him, and as we're focused on Him and navigate this narrow, bumpy path called life, we go out and allow God to speak through us and help people see what foundation they have built upon. Our motivation has to be pure because it's got to be God working through us. But folks, it's got to start back, 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 back here with understanding these first few words based on the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, he went with the blessed. Remember we did this a couple years ago? And I think my main point the first day was how it's blessed, not blessed. Anybody remember that? That's all I remember. I'm kidding. I remember a little more. He creates the, the beatitude mindset. The poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The meek. Those who hunger and thirst. 
the merciful. What he's doing is just saying, if you understand what I'm saying, if you've been driven to your knees, here's what your heart is going to be like. God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. This is what he's going to give you. And then when you get there, you begin to understand what is so awesome about grace and love and mercy. And you wake up in the morning and you don't feel good and you start to allow yourself to get bitter with God. God, if you're so good, why you make my bones ache so much? And you stop and you back it up. And you say, God... You are good all the time. My bones do ache. But I understand that because of Christ, they only ache for a little bit. And this present ache isn't even worth comparing to the future glory that you have prepared for and entrusted to me. And there's a perfect reason in this ache. And I'm going to get to focus off the ache and to focus on you. And you start going through your day that way. And watch how the patience changes. And you start to see people. The guy cuts you off in traffic. And you think, God, I'm working on this focus thing. And... I apologize because I think it's a little screwy that I'm a little angry at some cat that cut me off in traffic and I don't even know why. And you died for those people who nailed you to the cross. Um, I think I'm a little bit out of whack here. And I think you might actually love that guy who cut me off in traffic. You see how we start to go through the day here? And the focus goes off of what I want and what God intends for us. You see, I have gotten up in the morning to read scripture for, for many, many years. And it's changed. I used to get up because I wanted to master the text. I wanted to know this thing inside out on an intellectual level. I wanted to pass any, any quiz of, of minutia. But that's changed drastically because now I want to be mastered by the text. I don't want to just know stuff about God. I want to know God. And I want to have my foundation solid and a strong structure on top of it. Here's a little thing I realize most people have a problem with. Show of hands. Who here will be fired up to go out after church and tell people how much Jesus loves them. Come on now. I got the bus outside. I rented the school bus. We got a giant cross going out front and good humor music. And we're going to go all over the county. We're going to be offering like ice cream and Jesus. Who's coming? Who's coming? going to be me with Charlie running the aisles? Come on. It sounds like a burden to have to tell people about Jesus, doesn't it? And we're afraid we might not know what to tell them. Well, here's the difference. You want to tell people about Jesus, or you want to introduce them to him. You see that difference there? You want to tell them facts about the, the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or you want to introduce them firsthand to the man himself. You know the difference? You get up, read the Bible with me years back. We can write down stuff, have lots of facts in our head. People will say, oh, you know, I want to believe in God, but who are the twin gods on the front of the boat that Paul took into Rome? Oh, Castor and Pollux. Everybody knows that. Okay, I accept Christ. That never worked. Never worked. It's not bad to know the facts, but you've got to be in a relationship with the guy behind the facts. Our job is not to go out and make people love Jesus. Our God isn't to force ourselves to be patient. Our, God isn't to be, our job isn't to be joyful. Darn it. Our job is to be focused on Christ, to hear his words and do them. And here's what the words wrap up is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. And as you listen to that, you remember, you're saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. Oh, there will be works because you've been saved by grace through faith. Paul talks in his letters numerous times about how, why do you forget? Why do you forget it's by, by faith, by grace, all this stuff? You see, faith doesn't just get you in the kingdom. Faith matures you in the kingdom. 
Here's what I want you to take today. I want you to cross out, try harder. All right? Cross it out. And write, focus better. Try that one out for size. Take a deep breath. You know what God says in the Psalms? Be still and know that I am God. Yeah, but God, I got stuff to do. I got to work on my patience. I got to get some stuff done. I got 10 chapters of Bible read. I got to write a sermon. I got to not beat my kids. I got work to do. I got to mow the yard. I got to do the mulch. I got to clean things up. Come on now. I can't be still. Woo. Does your mind ever go fast like that? You ever have a lot of stuff to do? <whistles> Remember, the important stuff is done. You guys understand how cool this is. No matter what you do, if you love Jesus right now, no matter what you do, nothing will change the security of your eternal life. You really got nothing to worry about. You have an eternity in perfect relationship with Christ on the other side and in growing perfection on this side. It began when you came to faith. And nothing you can do can change that. Now how well you enjoy it is going to be in part contingent on how well you walk in obedience but you can't even walk in obedience except by faith and through His grace. Nobody on their own gets up in the morning and says, I want to know God better. That doesn't happen. If you get up, if there's that part of you, right, the large part going, oh, dang it, Sunday morning, I'm so stinking tired. Ah, Pastor John said I don't have to go. I still get to go to heaven. We'll see how he really feels about that two weeks. <laughs> Nobody's here and I'm preaching to myself. And I'll change the sermon and say, I lied. I was mistaken. You could, because you shouldn't be coming here for legalistic reasons. You should be coming here, because God says come here. And you want to please God, because you know He has a perfect reason for everything He calls us to. So, when we get up at the beginning, we'll do it at the end. You don't have to get up if you don't want, but feel free if so let. And we sing to God. There are two approaches to it. Oh, man. Now, now first of all, this isn't my first choice in music, and second of all, my legs are tired. And third, I don't want people here. Stop. Stop. Nobody here is going to judge you or hate you. If you don't want to sing, don't sing. We're not even going to stare at you. Just sit in the back. People don't notice. When we sing, we should be singing from the heart to the Lord and Savior who died on the cross in our place, not to make Him love us more, but because of how much He loves us. Now, when you leave here today, you got stuff to do. Have at it. You can do whatever you want. But stop and slow down and ask yourself, what does God desire for me for this day? You're not doing it to make Him love you more. He loves you, but He's going to also care for you perfectly. And if you trust Him, you walk in obedience. Matt got the Action Bible. I have a sneaking suspicion God's gifts far exceed the Action Bible. But they start with understanding some of those pictures in the Action Bible. I was thinking this week, and I may have distorted theology a bit. Not too much, though, so I can share it. I was looking at a picture in there. Jesus hung on the cross, right? Arms outstretched. It's not my unique idea. It came to my head. I'm sure I've read it 20 times. We need to see Jesus, arms outstretched on the cross. He's up there in our stead. But then let the cross dissolve behind him. Just have the arms outstretched. Same holes there. But he's not bleeding and beaten. He's standing in heaven greeting you on the day you arrive. No matter what you do, between now and the day you meet him, those arms are going to be outstretched. They're not going to swing across to smack you. They're not going to tell you how disappointed him. He is going to embrace you because he loves you. You understand how God sees you through the, the blood of Christ? Pure and clean. So here's what I want you to get out of this. Too often I have heard this, this parable as the, uh, the try harder, work more, do better, make your foundation stronger, stop it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, the words are this, you ain't good enough. 
But while you were still sinners, Christ died for you because He loves you more than you can fathom and He wants you to have eternal life. And now won't you walk in obedience to Him and receive the good and perfect gifts He desires to give to you? Won't you let Him use you for His glory as you understand more fully who He is? When you hear that and do that, now you live it. But for those who hear it and don't do it, there's a storm a-brewing. Folks, as people built on the rock, who stand on the rock, who are empowered by the rock, we have one primary obligation in life, and it's to focus. And the rest flows out of the focus. Trust me on this. You focus. Next time I rent that bus, I didn't really rent it. If I ever rent that bus, say a year down the road, I bet you that thing might be packed out with some people. Even though there's good humor music blaring and a giant cross on top and, you know, freaky people riding in yelling, I love Jesus. We are not going to do it that way. We'll do it right. We'll find someone who knows how to do it. You'll load the bus. You know why? Because it is a joy. It is a blessing. It is a gift we cannot fathom that God not only saved us, but then allows us to go out and tell everybody else that the offer is open to all who would believe no matter where they are or what they have done or what they might do in the future. Now that starts to get pretty cool. Chew on that a little bit this week for me, would you? The wrong way? Legalism. The good news is, you don't have to do it. It's done. The good news is, by grace through faith, you get to do it. Supernaturally empowered from the inside out. Our job isn't to change the inside from the outside. It's to allow the outside to be changed by a supernatural work that begins on the inside. Rejoice if you're on the rock. Get off the sand if you're on the sand. And then go out and allow God to use you to speak to those who don't yet know. That's what I got from those three verses in the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. I have a sneaking suspicion that God was speaking primarily to me as I was preparing that. I hope he had something to communicate to you. And my greatest hope is that for all of us, it's a deeper understanding of how incredibly wide and deep his love is for us and what a secure, eternal relationship truly looks like. You don't have to wash daddy's car to make him love you, but he loves you so much that he lets you approach his car if you so desire. Actually, it's his throne, not his car. Let's pray. Father, I am just so thankful that you allow us to come before you that you allow us to come before you at this moment in prayer, that you hear every word we say, that you listen to it, that you respond to it, that you are excited that we come before you. God, I, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around your love for us, why you love the unlovely, why you chose us to live in eternal relationship with you when, when all we wanted on our own was for you to leave us be. But you pursued us. You kept after us. You drew us towards you. You opened our eyes to the truth. And you gave us the gift of eternal life. Now God, I pray you would help us to not depend on ourselves like we used to, but to lean more fully on you. That you would help us more fully understand who we were apart from you and who we are now through you. That perhaps this week, each of us would take some time to hear your words through the Sermon on the Mount and allow you to drive us to our knees. And in that position before you of humility to, to be able to truly worship you as a savior for who you are, as a redeemer and sustainer who's also the creator and keeper of all things. 
and to understand that we were created by you and for you and the more fully we understand that the more fully we will understand what abundant life really is what joy really is and the gift of what you call us to it's a life of obedience and servants of yours God I pray we would quit trying to do it on our own I pray we would quit trying to fudge it I pray we would quit trying to make ourselves patient and joyful and happy and tell other people about you and make them come to believe in you and we would start just by focusing focusing on our Lord and Savior who came down and was born as a baby who grew up and lived a life of perfection and in his 30s was killed not by the might of men but by his choice he chose to die and take the wrath of God in our place so that we could have eternal life an actual living breathing relationship with the God of the universe us insignificant tiny little old us you had your eye upon you chose you died for and it wasn't just so that we don't go to hell it was so that we could have a relationship with you now and forevermore increasing in perfection until one day on the other side of death God we do become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect our will becomes your will we can do whatever we want and all we want to do is what you desire for us and in that moment we get to experience abundant life perfectly and joy completely and fulfillment and contentment beyond measure and on this side I pray you would encourage us and continue to be patient with us and give us greater glimpses of it and strengthen us to walk in obedience so we could see so the joy might increase so we could more passionately go out and proclaim to the worlds your offer of turning to you and being saved all the ends of the earth for you are God and there is no other and our God happens to love everyone and desire that none should perish but all should have eternal life. Father, I pray all these things in the precious and holy name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.